you are obviously very close to the action. And I'm sure you've observed a lot of changes in your work, but as well reading history on the industry. If you could maybe take like two or three observations or really cool schisms that have happened that you think are important, what would you say those are? Yeah, I mean, let me skip to kind of what we call new space, right? This modern kind of space industry really started by SpaceX and Elon, you know, in the early 2000s. And I think what we've seen is um, you've seen people really pushing the envelope on space. You've seen the cost of launch just fall through the roof. And so you've seen kind of space open up to these industries that before were never available to it. I mean, we really changed the world and entered space, right, in the 50s based off of uh, essentially the Cold War, right? Russia and the U.S. really pushing the envelope and spending a ton of GDP on making that happen. I mean, if you look at the numbers for the Apollo missions, they're, they're astronomically large when adjusted for inflation. It's kind of insane to think about how many people worked on those programs to make it happen. Um, this new generation of tech is really leveraging that and saying, cool, like, you know, we, we did all this research in the 60s and 70s. We can go utilize that and make this much cheaper. And me and my co-founder, Jose, both at, at different companies were part of this revolution. and the real core of that revolution was make launch cheaper for everybody. Well, you saw quite a few launch vehicle companies start up. And I think this was really due to the fact that satellite companies were used to spending a lot of money. You know, when they're paying four to $500 million for, for a Delta rocket and you say, hey, we can cut that in half, that's still huge margins for you to play with. Uh, right. When in reality, it can even be even lower, you know. So for us, it, it was creating this industry, seeing it come to fruition, realizing there's a ton of launch providers out there and now you're seeing kind of the next phase, which is all these launch providers are out there. They actually need customers to go launch on them. How can we take advantage of that and, and do something a little different? Um, you've seen a lot of constellations go up. You're seeing a lot of like this internet, you know, the, the web. I don't know what to call it. Like the, the, the internet constellations go up. The imagery constellations go up. All in Leo. And, um, you know, I've said this before. It's a little bit like we, it's kind of boring now. We've done it multiple times. We're just competing at a business <laughs> model, not in space. I got gotcha. And so for us, it was, how do we leverage this kind of accessibility to space and, and really push the envelope and do something that's a little bit more audacious and crazy? Um, for sure. And now, and now we got an asteroid mining company. Would you say stuff is still accelerating or is it just accelerating in different ways, given that shift? I think things are still accelerating um, very rapidly. And in fact, now that the cost to enter and to play this game is a lot lower than it was even 10 years ago, you're going to see a lot more companies, I think, like myself, trying to do things that are much more audacious, that if they work out, really have a massive upside, because they don't need to rely on massive amounts of funding to get off the ground. And that's kind of the, the key to us even being able to do this is we can do some of these missions we're trying to do are going to be in order of magnitude less than anybody's ever done them for before. And that's not because we're special. That's not because we have some secret ingredient to make everything cheaper. It's because, you know, supply and demand has driven that down to, to a place where we can actually afford to go do this in a different market. There have been previous players in the space that didn't necessarily take off, um, but they still made massive amounts of progress. So what would you say is the competitive advantage for AstroForge? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different categories here, but number one, first and foremost is uh, we have scientific points that we've done this before, right? Hayabusa missions, one and two, OSIRIS-REx, they've gone to asteroids, they've collected samples, they've sent them back. We understand that from a physics standpoint, this is achievable. There's not really a question there, which gives us just this huge advantage because we can go and say, like, this isn't really making a new technology nobody's ever done. It's just doing it much cheaper than anybody's ever done it before. 
I'm oversimplifying there, but in a nutshell, like that, that's a, that's the way we can really describe this company. And then, like I've mentioned, we saw launch costs being lowered by so much. We can afford missions that we would have never dreamed of before. We're seeing a whole bunch of companies now out there making satellite buses for us. I don't have to spin up a hundred person company to go make a satellite. I can simply buy it, which allows my company to focus on what our core IP and tech is. And that is the refinery, right? That's the refining and ore processing system on the vehicle. Everybody I hire can be strictly made for that for that reason. That's awesome. Where do you look for those kinds of people, by the way? Like, are those people that are, are, are working at like SpaceX and Virgin Galactic? Are they working elsewhere? You know, are the like, where is the undiscovered talent for working on this project? Yeah, I mean, realistically, at this size of a company, like it's everywhere, and you really have to, uh, you know, me and Jose, my co-founders primary full-time job is to go discover this talent and we find them recruit them to the company and this comes anywhere from like our you know our head of science came from a very small neutron generating company uh has a phd out of berkeley but just understood some of the key aspects of the refining process we needed to do and then had a huge passion for space and always wanted to go to a space company and you got to find people that that have on that one side a burning passion to make this work and and a risk posture to make it work then the other side have the skill set to actually achieve it. Um, and those are the two buckets we're balancing. But that's what we're looking for. Those are the key people we want to bring on. The technology that you are building is the extraction tools themselves. Is there anything you can speak on when it comes to those kinds of things? Or Yeah, this is really our demonstration mission for that, right? So what we're doing is we're sending up the small 6U CubeSat. Like you mentioned, it's going to be a ride share on SpaceX. It gets a super low cost access to space. And what this allows us to do is for the first time really test our refining and our ore processing system in space. Um, and that's a big milestone for us. Like we can, we can buy down a lot of risk on the ground. We can test a lot on the ground. But until you're truly up there and you're truly dealing with the distances, with the vacuum, with the zero G, um, you can't 100% test everything end to end. So this gives us our first opportunity to put all that theoretical physics to work and make sure it can operate. Right. And are there like a lot of stages? The reason I ask is because I was interviewing Impossible Mining yesterday that also went through YC. Um, they may have been in your batch, but they were saying that the first test, if you will, their minimum viable product was just in a little tank. And it was a robotic arm to demonstrate that they could actually... like the computer vision worked on the model. Is it very similar in aerospace? Because I feel like some of these environments are, I mean, pretty difficult to replicate on Earth. I know the physics is different and I'm, I'm going to sound stupid if I go any further. There's a lot of differences. <laughs> no, look, there's two things here. Number one is that we, we can replicate some of them. We usually can't replicate all of them at the same time. So for instance, we can get zero G, like we can go on a bomb comet and do zero G for a set amount of time. Great. We can buy a vacuum chamber and get down to very, very low pressures is similar to what we would see in space. Great. But putting those two together and having it last for a long period of time can, can really only be done in space. And I think throughout my history kind of developing Launcher One, and I think my co-founder's history developing Falcon 9, there's a lot to be said for just going forward and doing it, like trying and, and seeing where you fail. This company is really built on that, uh, that, that mantra of like, go super fast take a lot of risk um, and try things. And that's what we want to do. So we don't want to spend a lot of time developing very complex text, uh, complex test architectures or any of that right now. We just want to go launch it and see if it's going to work. Right. So how do you balance that kind of mantra of move fast and break things versus this is really complicated technology and, you know, yes, it's gotten cheaper, but it's still very expensive. So 
how, how have you balanced that? What are some rules, principles? Again, m- most of my audience is younger. They're just starting out their careers. You know, they're young professionals. So maybe you could provide some advice as well. Like, what would you say are some do's and don'ts when it comes to those things? It's, it, this is one of those things that's just so nuanced. Like, there's not one milestone or one key point you can really go after and just live by. Like, the reality is this is a really challenging thing, and you have to make a lot of engineering judgment and decisions along the way on how fast you're going to go. Um, you know, I always describe it this way. We could technically launch tomorrow, but it would be so high risk, it wouldn't be worth the cost. We could launch in 10 years, but it would be so low risk, it doesn't justify the cost. And so you have right. to figure out for every decision <laughs> along the way, like where you balance that. We are going to lean a little bit more on the side of like, when we launch and when, when we go to space, I want my team to be a little bit nervous. I don't want them to be so nervous to tell me like this 100% isn't going to work. But I want them to be like, mm, we tested all this. I think it's going to work. I wish we would have done. I want them to feel uncomfortable, right? And that's really the speed which you need to move at. You need to move at the speed of, of uncomfortable. I mean, look, the reality is when you go tell people, I'm going to go to an asteroid mining company, their first response is like, hold on, did I hear you right? Did you say asteroid mining? Like, what? You know, how many drugs did you do this week, dude? What is going right. on? <laughs> right? And I think that's that's like, that was always the balance we've had is, is when you tell somebody you're going to go do something that's so audacious, that's almost on, on first pass borderline crazy, the burden is really on you to show people that like, hey, this actually isn't crazy. And here's how we're thinking about it. Here's the work we've done to show that this isn't crazy. We know it's going to be hard. We know it's going to be difficult. But, um, you know, we're up for that challenge. And I think our backgrounds allow us to be successful going down that roadmap. And that's really what this, this story of the company has been all about is take this out of the realm of science fiction into the realm of, of reality. 100%. Well, speaking of company building and being in the early days, what has been the biggest win? What has been one of the hardest moments so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest win for us is when we closed out our, our round of funding, to be honest. And I think that's a, a lot of biggest wins for early companies, right? Is when you do that funding round and, and you, you, you're you able to tell the story in a correct way where people believe in the vision, believe that your company is going to be successful and can see what you're trying to do um, and really just get behind you and execute with you. It's, it's a huge win for you. It's a huge win for a company. And it allows us to do these missions, right? Without venture backing, like we would not be successful. And you know, firms like Initialized and 776 really believed in us and help us get to that next level. And it's been great to work with them. It's 100% Absolutely. kind of the biggest thing. Um, you know, challenges at a company, like companies are really, really hard. And I think that you have to have, there's a whole story to this company that, that I won't I won't dive into, but um, this has not been smooth sailing. This isn't like we just came out one day and all of a sudden people were throwing money at us. This is not how it worked at all. Like you mentioned, when you say, I'm going to start an asteroid mining company, Everybody just laughs at you at the beginning and you have to have thick enough skin to put up with that, to deal with that, you know, across the board and still move forward and then prove people wrong. And it's amazing to me, like how much just having that grit and determination and refusal to quit when everything in your, in your way tells you to quit is really what I believe builds a strong founder and a strong leadership team. And um, if you're going to start a company, I think you need to understand that there's going to be mornings you wake up saying I'm wasting my life and mornings you wake up saying I'm going to be the, the ruler of the universe. And every, and there's actually not a lot of in between. I think you really are on like the emotional extremes at all times. And it's a very, yes. it's a very kind of unhealthy place to exist um, and very difficult to manage. So, you know, founders, it's very important that you, you take care of yourself in a way at the same time you run and push as hard as you can and do as much as you can to make a company successful. Um, so, you know, I guess if I go back and like directly answer your question, the hardest part of this was brute forcing in the very early beginning when we had to go figure out 
we had to go answer some very basic questions. Who buys platinum on earth? Like we know we can go to a pawn shop and buy it. That's great. What happens if we bring back, you know, <laughs> uh, what happens if we bring back, you know, 20 tons of platinum? Like, can you take that to the pawn shop or not? Those conversations were kind of hilarious to have, right? When you call up people and you're like, Hey, if I bring back platinum from an asteroid, would you buy it? They're like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> Is this a joke? Or, um, you know, and me and my co-founder really sat there and we just made massive lists of companies, called them, emailed them, like brute forces in a way where, I mean, we were, we were people that worked in a call center for, for a week and it was 24 seven. We got no sleep and we just brute forced it. And that's the kind of like grit you have to have to make these things work. So how do you stay healthy then? Like, what are some tips, tricks? Like, do you exercise a lot? Do you try to eat very healthy? What has really helped you get through this? Cause you're right. Like at the end of the day, if, I mean, it's an emotional roller coaster and there is no in between and it can, it can break a lot of people, and you know we don't hear those stories because they aren't sexy enough for the media. For sure, I will say first and foremost, um, I'm not, and I think you'll see a lot of founders in the same boat. Like, it's very hard to spend time doing things that don't directly benefit your company in these early days, and you need to be prepared to do that. Um, at the same time, you have to be, I would say, like a, a little bit broken. You have to be mentally broken in order to do this job. I think sometimes so. Like, yes, I will try to go run. Um, I will I will do a lot of working out to try to get something different, to try to mix up the day. Um, and you kind of got to embrace, like, I, I actually really enjoy going on long runs that are super painful and hurt and are not comfortable. And is the day after I just did like a big weight section the night before. You have to kind of embrace the the pain of working out and like how much it sucks because it's still something that is different and, and it's physically stressing instead of emotionally stressing. Um, and you got to be able to enjoy that. If you're someone who doesn't enjoy, you know, running more than two miles because it hurts too much. Like I would honestly <laughs> say that that seems to translate very, very evenly into like, do not start a company at this stage. Um, and a lot of people to be clear are not cut out to do this job and not cut out to do this work. And that's perfectly fine. And I talk about this all the time. Like there's a very small percentage of, of, the world that is kind of equipped mentally to do a startup. There's a lot of people that make a lot more money not doing startups. Like small businesses are, are where all the people that have big houses on the hill, they have small businesses, right? They have companies that are really just like you found a niche, you 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 have run a plumbing supply shop. Like those are the millionaires, not the people that do some crazy vision of the future. We're the dreamers. And, um, you know, the people that really want to try to push it. And yeah, you hear about the like classic success stories, but just look at the data of how many startups fail. Um, and it becomes pretty obvious that this is not a high likelihood to be successful. It's not a high chance. And if anyone's listening, think of, think of, you know, doing a startup, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. You know, my, my definition of fun is, is actually this. I've, I've said plenty of times, like there's in life, if I ever wanted to retire, I'd love to go work at JPL. You get to make these missions that go to other planets and you try to change the world, but like you have to be willing to slow down in life because it's a government job. It's going to be much slower. It's not going to take risks. I just really started a commercial JPL where I can do what I've always envisioned to doing in retirement now and see if I can change the world by doing it now. So for me, this is fun. Dreaming about this is what I want to do. And that's the level of passion you have to have to do a startup. If your time, if you want to have, you know, your fun time Friday, Saturday night at the bar with your friends, that's a perfectly human, reasonable thing to have. I wish I, I had that in my brain because I think I'd be a lot healthier overall, right? <laughs> but that's that's not that's not like my makeup or or how I'm created, and and that's just that's just the reality of it. So from that standpoint, 
that that's what I would say about it. Like you have to have so much passion about what you're doing that this is what you find fun. And then to answer your question about what happens kind of after five years, let's say in five years, this goes bankrupt and belly up and like nothing happened. What's more important to me is that I tried and that I gave it a go. And like, I, if it fails, Hey, guess who, why it's going to fail. It's going to fail because I, I was not successful and it's a hundred percent my fault that it failed. Great. I'm going to look back at that. I was like, at least I tried. So many people I think spend their whole lives never trying, never willing to take risks. They get into comfortable jobs. They get into comfortable positions. They find this comfortable, happy balance where they can have fun with their friends on the weekend, work, you know, less hours and take a lot of vacations and do that. And again, I greatly respect those people. And I'm, I'm happy that they can find, you know, fun and, and fulfillment in doing that. I can't. And so for me, it's all about like just trying, just going forward and trying. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I appreciate you answering those questions because we got a bit off script there, but we are going back to the script now. Um, let, let's talk about some of the stuff that I always think that a lot of people are ambitious about the tech coming out of Silicon Valley, but a lot of people aren't at the same time. So do you think there are any concerns regarding environment impact, like orbital debris, pollution, even though this is a very good alternative to what is currently taking place? So for us, that's not a concern because we are going outside of Earth's orbit, right? We, we plan on being the first commercial company that operates outside of Earth's orbit. So the whole like uh, Leo being polluted with a lot of satellites and the debris tracking, it's not a problem for us. It doesn't mean it's not a problem. Now, I think there's two things, you know, that I didn't realize, like space is, is really, really big. And when you look at kind of the field that these satellites are going on, it's actually massive. Um, and you, you can't even kind of fathom how big it is. But they're moving so quickly that if they barely touch, you know, there's a, there's a massive problem. So I think that we're trending in probably the wrong direction on the Leo stuff as we go forward. We're seeing a lot of these small CubeSats get put up there. But we're also seeing, I think, the correct regulation. NASA is really doing a good job on deorbiting and making sure that stuff gets out of the way. But that is one country trying to do its best at it. I'm not sure everybody else is going to follow suit. And, and I hope they do. But I just, you know, I, I don't I don't study this enough to know. I also think you have some Enough. great companies out there really looking at how, how do we solve this? How do we track stuff in space? Um, how do we, you know, collect junk in space? Like people are trying to solve this problem. And I think it will be solvable because it's so critical for our further exploration of space is to make sure we can get out of the Earth's orbit and not pollute it to, to, to the end. Um, so I guess, you know, that, that's kind of my my sense on that one. No, no, that, that does make sense. Like, are there any rules and regulations that are perhaps not prohibiting this, but making it more difficult or even making it more easier? Um, or do they play a big role at this stage in company development? Yeah, I mean, Planetary Resources, which was really kind of like our forefather company right before us, um, did, a lot of, did a lot of stuff on the legal front to help get some of this passed. In 2015, you had the SpaceX passed um, that essentially allows you to mine asteroids, right? Allows you to go after resources in space, kind of enabling the way that's going to happen. Like any new technical field, until we go do it, until we start to make some progress, um, you're never going to know like how that flushes out, what goes into it, how we make those connections. There's a lot of work we need to do there on the legislative front to make sure that, you know, we're really trying to follow all the rules and do this in a way that's both successful for us, but also successful to, to the world as a whole. Definitely. Well, let's ask that final question that we talked about. What is Matt passionate about? That he doesn't get asked about a lot. Um, 
I mean, what I'm passionate about, honestly, is trying to go explore deep space, like trying to figure out if we can do that. I think a lot of us as kids, like as a, as a little kid, I have a drawing of myself, you know, drawing these things and saying, like, I want to go explore the universe when I get older. And I think the reality is, like, that's, that's not a very lucrative position to go after. You don't get a lot of money. And as you kind <laughs> of, like, go through your, your adolescence and teens and 20s and you see people that have big houses and have cool cars and things like that, you think, well how can I kind of go down this road, but still have all the money in the world, right? And that's things like going into engineering and getting those kind of degrees and then going to larger companies. And for me, that was the roadmap. But then I also realized as, as I went down that roadmap, like, this is not what I truly love. And as you get a little older, you say, well, how do I go do what I truly love? And that really, to me, was really pushing those boundaries and seeing if I can do it. And this is all consuming. So I will have other passions I'll go after. I'll have other things I want to go do, right? I still have visions of like running an ultra marathon and going for some of these kind of crazy goals. That's all going to be second place until I make sure this company is either successful or has, has totally failed. And that's kind of the laser path that I want. You have to be 100% focused on this. If there is one question I can ask, one more before we uh, we end here. I'm in my mid-20s right now, and to your point, there's a lot of people that go on social media, they see the big houses, the nice cars, the extravagant lifestyles of eating out, et cetera, et cetera. How do you ensure that you stay patient? Like Nothing is an overnight phenomenon. Again, we look at the media outlets, and we would like to think that everything just was very you know, serendipitous, and it came together naturally. That is not the case. So... I guess it, a lot of it does come with age and wisdom, but is there anything advice-wise that you would give to people or perhaps even looking back on your life where you know patience played a big role or how you trained it? Yeah, it's not. So I actually don't think it's patience. I think it is grit. And what I mean by that is, you know, deep down what you want to go do in life. Uh, you know, whatever that is, you know what you want to go do. Let's say you want to go become an artist. Well, what happens? You start off day one and you start painting art. And then day two, you're still painting the same picture. And a week later, you start to be like, okay, I'm getting a little bored with this. Like, let me go out with my friends. And then you realize, I have no money to go out with my friends because I'm an artist. Maybe I need to go get a job. And then all of a sudden, art becomes this, this hobby in the background. And then before you know it, like, you, you, you work too much. You're doing too much extra work for somebody else. And, and, and art just goes by the wayside. You have to be so focused that a week into you painting that picture, when your friends call and say, let's go to the bar, you say, no, I'm busy painting. And you disconnect and are able to focus on it. And, and again, I'll keep caveating this with like, that is not a healthy way to live your life or how to do it. But if you want to do something like this, that's what you have to do. And you have to stay on that course. And a month later, when they call, you have to say, sorry, I'm still painting the same piece of art. And 10 years later, you have to say, sorry, I'm still painting this piece of art. You have to stay laser focused on that one path you want to do. And you can't let anything disrupt you. And um, for me personally, that actually wasn't even solvable independently. That's why I have a co-founder. That's why I have Jose as a co-founder, right? Because every once in a while, he has to kind of slap me in the face and say, like, what are you doing? Why are we doing this? Like, the company, no, our mission is to go mine asteroids. Let's go mine asteroids. And me to him sometimes, too. Like, we have to remind ourselves why we started this, why we're doing it, and how we keep our vision on what we're trying to achieve and nothing else can get in our way. That's awesome. Okay, we are going to leave it there. But Matt, thank you so, so much for coming on. Where can people find you? I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's really the only social media thing I use. Uh, I guess we have a company Twitter page. And if you're interested in chatting, just email me. Email founders at astroforge.io or matt at astroforge.io and uh, we can chat.